Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. Now, you might recognize this guest from episode 11 of the podcast, and if you haven't listened to it, I suggest you go listen to that first before listening to this episode. But on this episode, I have the amazing Dawn Dixon. Dawn is a serial entrepreneur and inventor with over 19 years of experience in marketing and business development. She launched four successful cash flow positive companies since 2002. Her most recent ventures are Flat Out of Heels, which is a rollable flat for women to get relief from painful heels, which we all know we need, and Popcom. Popcom equip entrepreneurs and brands with future-ready retail solutions that allow rapid retail expansion, incredible customer experiences, and powerful sales data. On this episode, Dawn and I discuss in more detail about the personal reason that she created Popcom. We talk about her success in crowdfunding for the company and how you, yes, you, can get in on the investment action. And lastly, we touch on her lessons as a tech entrepreneur. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, rate and subscribe today. Now let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I have the amazing Don Dixon on this episode. How are you, Don? I'm amazing, like you said. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Can't complain. I mean, it's 2020, right? Yes, and we're still hanging in there, and we're still healthy, so we have a lot to be thankful for despite everything else going on. Exactly. And Don, I had you on a previous episode of Black Tech Unplugged, but for my listeners who might not know who you are and know about your business, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. My name is Don Dixon. I'm a serial entrepreneur and inventor. I'm currently the CEO and founder of Popcom. And Popcom is a technology company that has developed software to revolutionize automated retail. So explain to my listeners, let's go into a little bit more detail. Why did you create Popcom? What issues are you addressing with your business? Yeah, for sure. So actually create a popcom to solve a problem that I was experiencing. I started a company called Flat Out of Heels in 2011. And it was a uh, and it still is in business selling rollable ballet flats for women when their feet hurt in heels. And my idea was, I can sell these shoes in vending machines. So when women's feet hurt at the club or at the airport or dancing at a concert, they can go to a vending machine and get some shoes right away and solve that problem. So when I launched my products in vending machines and I was selling shoes every day, I ran into an issue that um, I could not collect information from customers. I could not get email addresses. I didn't know anything about my conversion rates. I really wanted to remarket those customers, retarget them, bringing them into my sales funnel, into my loyalty program. And none of these tools existed in the brick and mortar vending environment. So all of the tools that I was used to working with in the e-commerce environment as an entrepreneur, like Google Analytics and um, different AdWords, I couldn't do anything like that in vending. And I really needed that to grow my business. I wanted to be able to engage with my customers after that purchase. Mm. So I went out looking for a solution that I could just use someone else's technology to license. I certainly didn't see myself inventing um, a a software platform, but that's what ended up happening because I couldn't find a solution and I didn't want to give up on my dream 
of getting these flat out of heels machines all over the world. And so I decided to start Popcom to solve that problem, which is to bring the ability to vending machines to collect data and analytics using cameras to track user movement, customer demographic data, deliver targeted content. So basically everything that happens in the e-commerce environment using what is an IP address, we use a physical human body in an anonymous way without collecting any identifying information. But to get that same information about traffic and conversions and demographic and, and, and shopping history. That's awesome. And I, I mean, obviously you're on social media and you have access to just different platforms and we know that they're already tracking our data, right? I mean, we could be talking right now and let's say I have my phone nearby and I say like flat out heels. I bet you when I go on Instagram, Facebook, something, I'm going to see an ad for flat out heel, right? Right, exactly. And that's what they do. But Popcom, we do, we do not do do that. You know, that's something that's okay. really important to us is that we don't take any identifying information. And because you're physically in front of the machine, we can't remarket you on your phone like how the computer does or how our phones are listening to us. We literally just know... Um, if you're male or female, up to 92% accuracy, your approximate age. And if you use your email address or your phone number to get a receipt or to join that retailer's loyalty program, that is how you're tracked by your email address or your phone number, never by your actual face or anything about you personally. And I know that has to be reassuring to some of my listeners because as we know, there's so much data about us and even pictures of us floating around that we didn't authorize and that's being used. And some people might not realize that that's an actual problem, but it is. And I'm glad to hear that Popcom kind of solves that issue in regards to data integrity. All the time. And it's, it's so important. And that is why we actually partner with a company called Civic for identity management. So in the, in the case of where we're um, working with a retailer to sell a product that's regulated like alcohol or cannabis, where you have to get the customer's identifying information like their age um, and, you know, date of birth. We don't ever have contact with that either. We use technology that uh, puts that information on the blockchain and uses a QR code to verify that that identity is um, of age. So once again, taking that data liability away from us and our customers and letting all the customer data, as far as consumer data, be in the hands of that consumer. Can we talk about that a little bit more? Because I think you're probably one of the only companies that I have seen take that extra step to protect consumer data. So what is your partnership with Civic like? And can we go into a little bit more detail of how they're protecting us? Yes, for sure. Um, So we license their technology and integrate it into our and our into our technology and civic is an identity management software for um that's on the blockchain they don't have any vending machines or they don't have any hardware it's just you can license their ability to age gate and store that information safely on the customer's mobile device and the reason why we wanted to do that is we didn't want people coming up to the vending machine scanning their id scanning their face and then we have to be responsible for what happens to that data There's too many possibilities for breaches these days. We want to remove any possibility on our side. So we said we need to find a way that we don't take customers data at all. And when we came across Civic in 2017 at a conference in New York, we thought it would be a great partnership to to really use vending and, and include that. So they have to the customer has to download an app one time 
It's very mm-hmm. much like you know, downloading Uber or something. You download one time, verify your identity on your device, and now you have a QR code that shows you're a verified identity. And so if you're if you're at least 18, you can purchase any kind of tobacco or products that require 18. If you're at least 21, you can purchase any product that requires 21. And if you need to have your specific name, like if it's a prescription in this case, um, of course, HIPAA compliant with everything, but to have to have your name, we still wouldn't know your name. We'll just know that you're verified to take this. And so it's, it was really important for us just to remove that liability from our company of what happens to customer purchasing data, especially when it's something like alcohol or cannabis, that um, people just don't really want that information out there as far as what they're consuming. And I agree. And I also kudos to you for taking the initiative to actually protect consumer data. It's just so rare that you hear about that, right? Usually people and businesses are all about just like getting that money. They don't care about what they do with your data or where it goes or if it's compromised. So thank you. Definitely. You're welcome. And it's it's something that we believe is our responsibility. And also we believe that all companies that are handling any type of customer data has a responsibility to protect that data. And I think that the new generation is demanding it and laws are being put in place and people are becoming more aware of the power of their data and how valuable their data is from a monetary standpoint. So we have other visions down the line of how customers can actually use their data and monetize that as well. Mm, That's awesome. Awesome. One thing that you touched on too with your popcorn vending machines is sometimes you need to be over 18 and you need to have that information. One thing we didn't cover is what type of industries or businesses are using some of your vending machines? So our machines are actually launching first quarter of next year, but we already have customers. So I can share the types of products you're going to see coming out in them. We have a customer that sells alcohol. We have a customer that sells hair extensions. We have a customer that sells rain hats on the go. Of course, flat out of heels. We have a customer that sells infused cupcakes that are infused with different types of alcoholic beverages. We have a customer that sells grooming products for for men. We have a customer that sells feminine hygiene products. And we have a customer that sells electronics. So almost anything you can think of can be sold in a vending machine within certain packaging parameters. So I say anything between a ring box and a hat box. If it can fit in that, then we can dispense it. You have a wide variety of industries in that mix. So many. I can't wait to show people what you can do with vending because it's just highly underutilized in the United States. If anyone's traveled outside of the U.S. to China or Japan, you see all the many use cases for vending that are being done there. But here you see the same thing over and over again. You know, of course, food and beverage and snacks. And then we've all seen the best buy machines in the airport, which is a great use case for electronics on the go. But there's so much more that can be done. And so we just look forward to changing the way people think about vending and how retailers use it. Yes. What's one of the best ways that you've seen probably outside of the United States when it comes to vending? Do you have an example? All kinds of things. So I was really excited. First the thing I wanted to do was the alcohol, which we've been able to do the alcohol in the, here in the U.S. But they have all kinds of things from live crabs, lettuce, hydroponic what? lettuce being grown in a machine. And you can pick the lettuce from the, you know, right fresh. I'm putting fresh in quotes, but you can do that. <laughs> Gold bar machines that are in Dubai. Um, and then mm-hmm. things, things that make pizza, like fresh, hot pizza, French fries. I've definitely seen machines that dispense baby products on the go, which as a mother, my daughter's 16 now, but there was many times where we had accidents when we were traveling and, and there was no diapers. And when you think about it, 
at the airport in the convenience stores at all the airports, I've never once seen diapers. And so this like oh, that's true. figure out what products do people need either when they're on the go or what product do they need fast that they can't wait for delivery. And then also helping other retailers keep up with the speed of last mile delivery with as Amazon. Because if you need a product right now, today, you know, generally you go to Prime because if you can't go to the store, Amazon can get it to you. If other brands can also deliver products that fast, it levels the playing field. That is so true. I mean, obviously we know through COVID that Amazon is, you know, has picked up, I, I can't even say pick up steam because they were already ahead. Then you have, you know, we're in COVID where everybody wants everything shipped right directly to them. They're making bank. Yes. So it's like, yeah, I agree with you from the perspective of finding a way to get some of that money because it's out there. It's on the table. Exactly. And so I have to mention, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners have already saw, you are the first woman to raise $2.3 through crowdfunding for your company. Yes. And so definitely. I want to spend some time talking about crowdfunding. So my first question around Popcom and crowdfunding is how and why did you decide to go that route? Well, I first raised money for Popcom from accredited angels and venture capitalists and accelerator programs. So after I finished the Techstars program, we closed around. Um, with all of those investments, it was a little over a million dollars. And um, I thought, you know, always thought the way to build a tech company was to go the venture capital route. That's all that I knew. And that's and that was my goal. I really at this time, I guess it was now four, four or five years ago, there was very little black women that had raised over a million dollars. You could name them on two hands. Now there's so many of us you can't name them on two hands, which is great. But my goal was just to prove them wrong that, you know, that black women could raise this money. But once I did that, I realized I really wasn't a fan of that system. And I really wasn't a fan of the venture capital model for early stage startups. It's very, you have to give up a lot. You know, the money is very expensive the earlier that you raise. Oftentimes mm-hmm. you give up control, board seats. Oftentimes the founders and the founding team is diluted down pretty significantly in the early days before you get a true product market fit and true traction. And I really didn't want to continue to dilute myself down. And plus, the speed of which VCs expect you to scale with their capital sometimes isn't realistic because companies like Popcom, we need time to go through several iterations of our hardware. We went through four iterations of our hardware, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. for a VC, that's just too slow. That just takes too long. And we went through our software development process for three years. And I wanted time to really grow the business. And so when I started looking at alternative ways to raise money, um, there, the thing that stood out to me the most was equity crowdfunding. The law of the, the Jobs Act was passed in 2012 by the Obama administration, but the actual um, law didn't get into effect where you could actually use this law until 2016. So in 2017 is when I started looking at alternative ways to raise capital. It was very fresh. Um, crowdfunding was very new, one year old. And um, I talked to my investors about it, you know, as a way to raise more capital. And they did not approve. They were not happy about it. But at the same time, they did Mm -hmm. not want to give me follow on investment that I desperately needed to keep going. And so I felt like I really had my back against the wall um, and I didn't have another option to find something different. But then when I realized and studied the law to understand the significance of crowdfunding and how now for the first time since 1933, 
non-accredited investors can invest in early stage companies. And that means my friends, my family at the time, me personally, my community can now invest in a company they would never have an opportunity to invest in. That was empowering for me. I felt like this was the best way to create generational wealth was to have access to early stage deals, whether it's technology deals or just early stage deals in general, because many companies can crowdfund, not just tech companies. And so it was empowering for me. And then I said, okay, well, I just want to, when I get wealthy, when, you know, of course my goal is to grow my business and exit and, and, um, you know, have a return. That's why I'm working. That's what I'm working for. That's my goal. And when I exit, I want to see, you know, I I don't want to write checks to those same people that get money off of all the deals and the same 10% of Americans, which are generally, you know, white males that, that capitalize off of all of these startup exits. I wanted to see people that look like me and think like me. And that's what, you know, motivate, motivated me to do it. And then the community came behind me in a way that was unbelievable. Um, very just overwhelming. Two oversubscribed crowdfunding rounds. The first one we raised a million seventy thousand. We were three hundred thousand oversubscribed. The second time we raised a million fifty thousand. We were four hundred thousand oversubscribed, and now you know we're raising again. And we're going to get into to the details of that. I do want to circle back to something you mentioned. So you mentioned you had VCs backing you before, and I just want to break down for people who are listening and might not understand venture capital or how they operate. I want to explain the difference between crowdfunding and venture capital. And also, let's try to go into the pros and cons of both. So as I stated, you know, venture capital is often very expensive. You have to raise money on their terms. You don't get to set your own terms. You wait for a term sheet and then they'll tell you what your company is worth and what they're going to offer you for it. And oftentimes those are very sharky deals because, of course, venture capital's job is to get the most for their money and the highest returns for their limited partners, which are LPs. They often want a board seat, which means they can have controlling um, influence over your company. And they could um, they could vote you out as CEO. They could vote against what you're working on. They can exercise their influence on on your company, which for me, I have not yet met an investor who knows my industry the way that I do. So I'm not going to let anyone tell me what to do when it comes to an industry they don't understand. And so sometimes... These VC requirements work really good for companies because they get with investors who really, really know their industry. But in my case, it just didn't make sense for me to work with people and give them that kind of control that don't understand my industry. Vending is not a very popular, sexy thing, even though it's a very high growth industry. It's just not something that many tech investors have experience with. The problem you can get big checks. You can scale very fast. You will lose some of your equity and your control, but you know, that value of your equity will increase quickly with the cash infusion and with scale. So that's, there's a good side to it. And if you have good VC partners, they can really, really help you grow and attract more, more um, investment dollars. On the crowdfunding side, the pros are you can set your own terms. You don't lose control. You don't have to give up board seats. You can raise from anyone over 18 years old, almost anywhere in the world. Few countries are an exception like Canada and UK. But pretty much anywhere in the world, we have investors from uh, 42 states and 14 countries. And then the downsides are, you know, it's expensive. It's expensive to pay for the lawyers and, and, the, and the audits and the financial reviews that are often required. It's time consuming. 
You have to do a lot of engage, engaging and educating the community about your business and about this new instrument of crowdfunding. People really still don't really understand it fully. So it's always education, always engaging. You have to pay the platform about eight to 12% of your round raise. Wow. So you have to, so it's, it's significant, you know, some of the platforms vary and there are some negotiation abilities, but in general, you're spending eight to 12% of your round on platform fees, escrow fees, um, advertising. So, you know, as with both, because if you're going around the country, raising a VC round, you're flying around the country, you're getting hotels, you're taking these meetings. So when I weighed out the costs, it was pretty, you know, comparable to doing a, a series A and, 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 you know, round. So, and if you're doing a smaller round, like you just want to raise a couple of thousand or 50,000, hundred thousand, half a million, it's less expensive, but we were going for the max, which we did. And so the max requires more capital to raise it. Okay. Okay. And we're going to take this opportunity to do this now, educating people who want to be investors in your company. So let's go through a step-by-step so that people are aware and Hey, maybe you don't have to ever tell somebody else again, you can lead them right to the podcast, but how they can invest in your company. Let's, we can use myself as an example. Let's say I want to invest in Popcom. What are the steps that need to happen? It's very simple. It's like shopping online. Really? You go to startengine.com forward slash Popcom read the offering circular, learn more about the opportunity, learn more about the risks, learn more about what our plans are to do with the money, our team, our product. And you can click a button and invest right there. Put in your credit card or your ACH. It's a very, very simple process. I just encourage people to read thoroughly through the offering circular information so they can be clear on what they're investing in, what to expect. I get a lot of questions all the time about returns. You know, those all that information is spelled out in the offering document. And so we're doing a Reg A Plus right now, which has a lot of restrictions from the SEC around what I can publicly talk about. And so as opposed to the Reg CF, where I could basically say anything and, and generally solicit and, and market widely, the Reg A Plus is highly restricted around what I can say. And so I'm always encouraged by my lawyers and by Start Engine to send people to go to the page and read the offering circular. And speaking of, you have an investment round open right now. So if someone is listening to this episode, they want to invest in you, where can they go and click that button to make it happen? Yes, they can go to startengine.com forward slash popcom. And it's been about less than 48 hours that we've been live. And so we're making great progress. And I will have that in the show notes for people who are looking to invest in popcom. Now, Still thinking on the crowdfunding front, you're getting these investments from various people. How do you keep all of your, I'm going to say air quotes investors, because it's a different type of investor now, right? But how do you keep all of your investors happy? Well, you know, I don't know how they're feeling if they're happy, but I think they're happy because the company is continuing to grow and and continuing to uh, meet our milestones and, and do exactly what we say we we're going to do with the money. And I keep them updated. I send out a monthly investor update email. We also have a private investor group where I post in regularly. They can engage with me. They can talk to me. We have a designated investor email box where we answer it every single day with questions. So the, the key is just keeping them in the loop, keeping them informed, which I hope that makes them happy. But we literally have never had any complaints or any negative feedback from our investors. They're very excited that our company valuation has grown from $8 million to $26 million in a year. And um, the value of their their equity continues to grow through 
our efforts and our um, as we scale. Also, I want to touch on a little bit because you're opening the opportunity for Blacks, so other people that look like us, to invest in a business, which if you would have asked me five years ago if we would have the opportunity that I would have been like, girl, no, you playing because, you know, it's always been looked upon as a not something that we, you know, was possible. And I just want to understand from you how that makes you feel to allow people that look like us to have the ability to invest in a company that's by someone that looks like them. I think it's very empowering. You know, people tell me all the time that um, they're proud of me. They'll be like, I don't know you, but I'm proud of you. Or they'll tell me, thank you for the opportunity. And that's just like, it makes me feel good because it's not just a random, like, for example, when I got the money from the VC, I got the money from that fund. So it's like the managing partner, whoever manages that fund. But I don't really know the LPs, the people that actually wrote the checks, and the people that are going to actually get a return. And they're certainly not reaching out to me saying, Dawn, thank you for this amazing opportunity. We think you're amazing. We think you're great. They're not doing any of that. But these investors that I have now, they're like so appreciative. They're so supportive. They're always sharing what we're doing. They're always like giving me words of encouragement, sending me things. They're on, their radar is on. Like if anything happens in the vending industry, they're sending me the information. They're always okay. just like they feel a part of it. And it feels like I have a real community. We have 4,800 investors and counting. And it's a real community of people that want to see us win together. And that, that is very empowering. And the the thought of that, when I exit, and this is my plan, I have to say, there's no guarantees with any investment. Any startup is a risk. Any investment is a risk. But my intention and why I'm working every day is to grow this business exit. That is what my plan is. And when I exit, I will be so elated to see black people and people that look like me and think like me because it's not just a color thing but people being able to get a significant return with me Mm -hmm. that's what makes me like that's what drives me and motivates me and you know what I love that you talk about exit because so many people act like building up a business and having an exit plan is a bad thing and it's not don't you want to retire and go live on an island at some point like I'm just glad that you mentioned you know, that. Some and people don't want that, and it's okay. Some people want to have a build a business that's going to be a family business, and that's fine. True. They want to pass it down. This is not one of those businesses. Um, that's not what I set out to do. I set out to solve a problem that a large industry is experiencing, and I feel like a, a large company, another company, will really benefit from the technology that we're building. I do want to retire, and I have goals, and that's me personally, and they can take it to, you know, to the next level, or who knows, maybe one day I'll be chairman of the board and we'll have another CEO and we'll keep going. You know, I don't know what the future holds, but the future holds success. That's what I do know. And I do believe in having some type of liquidity option for my investors. And I'm working on that as well. Again, no guarantees. These are things that I'm, what I would desire that I'm working on, but I can't promise anything. And it's illegal for me to make any kind of promises around returns or liquidity, but this is what I'm working on. And that's a word. You know that the future will hold success. I like it. I like it. And Don, I know that you are a serial entrepreneur and you've been in the tech industry for a while and you've had great success. So I want you to share with my listeners from a tech entrepreneurial perspective. What are some of the lessons that you've learned along your journey? I've definitely learned to trust myself. Um, anytime mm-hmm. I've doubted myself, 
Um, I was, I should have never doubted myself because I have all that I need within me. It's in there. This idea was given to me and all of my businesses were given to me for a reason. So I just, not, not to doubt myself is what I learned. Um, you know, I'd say, you know, more than you think you do. If you just trust yourself, I've also learned that the importance of, um, you know, delegating and building a team and having people around you that are smarter than you. They always say that, but it's so true. My team is so amazing. They they think of things I never thought of. And it's really our business. You know, it's, it was my business, but it's turned into something else. So it's our business. And I, I love that. You know, I love having the I can sit back. I can go on vacation and my team runs the whole company. And, and that's I would never happen if I was not comfortable delegating and, and you know, releasing the reins of control, which a lot of entrepreneurs do. I've learned the importance of self-care and sleep and eating well and exercise. And uh, this is something I've put into practice for years before self-care was a trending word, which I love that it is a trending word. But I learned in my early 30s that being up all night, not sleeping, eating bad is not sustainable. And it cannot help you be successful because how can you be effective when you're when you are not all the way at your best. So I always work to be at my best. And when I'm at my personal best, it literally trickles down to everything else in my life. And that's what I attribute my success to. Just me putting myself first, my mental, physical, spiritual health, always first. And then everything else, as you can tell, that, I, that I'm whole because everything that I do then, you know, is successful. Yes, yes. That is wonderful advice. And I think that one of the things that stuck out from my perspective is the trusting yourself. So many people just don't trust their gut or trust themselves that, you know, when you have all the knowledge and information inside of you, you got to trust yourself. Your gut says something is wrong. It's most likely going to be wrong. Or, if you, you know, your gut saying you should take another direction in regards to a decision. Just try it. But a lot of people just do not trust themselves. They don't. And then the mistakes and they make a lot of mistakes and they and they and the suffering. You know, that that inner voice was was put there for a reason. It's, it's to guide us. That's why it's there. And I felt I learned that when I didn't follow the inner voice, it resulted in some kind of suffering for me. So I said, mm. you know what? I'm just going to listen to what myself tells me no matter what. It may feel like to my human self, I'm going to listen to this guidance that I'm feeling strongly within me and it never fails me. Yes. So we're both from Ohio and you've moved back to Ohio, actually. So I have to ask, how have you seen the Ohio tech ecosystem change? I mean, there I, I don't feel like there was any tech ecosystems back then. It just there was nothing. There were no resources. I didn't have any help. And so it's grown tremendously. If I if I even had a fraction of what's available today, when I started my first tech company in 2001, I would have been a millionaire a long time ago. There was just there's just so many tools out here, especially for us, you know, especially for people of color, black women. There's so many resources. So they it's grown significantly. I left Columbus, Ohio, because as an entrepreneur, I didn't have what I needed. There wasn't enough networking support. So I went to Atlanta, where it was booming. Um, Mm -hmm. with entrepreneurship in the early 2000s. And now Columbus, when I returned to to do a speaking engagement in 2017, I was blown away. I couldn't believe how far the community had come, not only with just entrepreneurship ecosystem in general, but black entrepreneurs, people that look like me. I'm like, where have you guys been? And so I moved back because I felt like if they're giving out money in my hometown, I definitely deserve some of that money. 
and I came back to get it. And I raised money from all of the VCs locally, except for one, and they don't invest in early stage. And believe me, I'm, you know, I want them too. Yes. Seeing the growth, even like going back home and like seeing that there's even tech events is mind blowing to me because in Cleveland, similar situation, you didn't see anyone who looked like you that was doing, you know, what you wanted to do. Definitely wasn't any like tech classes or tech experiences where I could even learn Mm -hmm. tech when I was growing up. So to see the growth is amazing. It's insane because it grew so fast. Necessary. Mm hmm. And so you mentioned the endless amounts of resources that we currently have now from a tech perspective. Any certain resources that you recommend for my listeners? You know, a resource that's been around for a long time and is still very relevant is SCORE to help people get that early mentorship and help on setting up their business, business plans, financial projections. I used SCORE when I started Flat Out of Heels, um, but every city has some type of entrepreneurship incubator resource center. And so I definitely recommend just tapping into that, whatever that is in your community. I mean, we have several here in Columbus, um, places where entrepreneurs gather, where there are events, where entrepreneurs can work, you know, can co-work. Um, and every city has, that's popped up everywhere. There's nowhere that I go in America where there's not some type of entrepreneur center or resource. So that's just something that we should not take for granted. And we should definitely tap into that. And then today in the in the, in the era of COVID, when all of these big conferences that were expensive to go to and you had to travel and get high hotels and flights, you can now do these conferences virtually. Do not miss opportunity to engage virtually in these things because eventually one day we'll be back in person again. So just the, the opportunity to network and, and get access to content and speakers that you never could have got before is such a huge opportunity for everyone. And actually speaking on COVID, how has COVID affected your business All of my companies have grown positively during COVID. My restaurant, my shoe company, Popcom, my speaking business. And I think it's because I had a lot of time to just focus and and build the teams. And and also because for Popcom, the interest in automated retail has increased due to COVID and retailers shutting down and retailers looking for new ways to distribute a product direct to customer. And vending is a great way to do that where you don't have to have contact with another human being. So a lot more inbound than ever before. Um, but, you know, it didn't hurt that we raised money and closed around during COVID. A lot of people invested their stimulus checks in Popcom, and that was definitely a bonus. And then it was also great that we were able to take advantage of the, some of the grants that were out there and the PPP loans. So um, it, it, I'm very grateful that during this global pandemic in a time when many people definitely are um, experiencing hardships that we are still thriving, but also it gives me hope that um, we're going through a shift, but we're going to recover. And I feel that at the end of this, entrepreneurs are going to carry this country on our back like we always have. We're the ones going to be creating jobs. We're the ones that are going to be um, you know, coming up with new opportunities and ways to help the economy rebound. I totally agree. And it's crazy to see that it took a situation like this for us to actually value entrepreneurs, small business, and even just essential workers. It was COVID has been an eye opening experience. I don't know how it's been for everyone. And I understand also on the flip side of that, there's been a lot of hardship that we have to acknowledge and we need to reform a lot of things. But COVID has really been a blessing in disguise. I definitely agree with you and think it has as well. So you've had a major 2020. You have 
been the first woman to raise $2.3 million. You were also just awarded the Black Entrepreneur of the Year. And even though the year is technically not over, we still have three more months, one quarter for you to go through. But I want to ask, what do you see for the future? What's next for PopCon? You know, get our product out. Get our product mm-hmm. out. We've made some changes in response to COVID. We've brought our supply chain from China to the United States. We've made some adjustments to our hardware to make them be able to be used with gloves, a pen, or a stylus. We have re-engineered on the process of currently re-engineering our pop shop to accommodate more products and more package sizes so we can have, let more retailers use the pop shop. We have a new leasing program that we have in place to allow retailers to lease the machine to get it out faster. We've made a lot of adjustments to accommodate definitely the downturn that retailers experience and help them to get to market faster. So we're just, what's mm-hmm. next is raise another round of funding and get the product out. And, and now it, we have a clear path to profitability and a clear p- path to getting the product out. And that's all I'm focused on. I love the awards. I'm super grateful. But for me as an entrepreneur, I do this to get the product out because I want to see my invention in the world. I, I don't do anything for like accolades. I appreciate them, but I'm so driven by getting my vision, like having that come to life. And you know what, Dom, what I love about you and I've been following your journey for a very long time is that you say things like that. You always keep it a hundred. You always talk about, it's not about the accolades. It's about the action behind it. And I love that your focus is about your product, the work that you're doing and the impact you're making as opposed to, you know, an award. Thank you. Of course. So you talked about your, your experience as a tech entrepreneur, crowdfunding, popcom, what's to come in the future. Is there any other advice or tips that you want to leave my listeners with? I think the last tip and advice, I just encourage everyone to become an investor. And I'm not meaning this in popcom. Of course, I want people to invest in my business, but there's many businesses out there across multiple platforms, including Start Engine, Republic, Seed Invest, WeFunder, um, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, entrepreneurs out there that are looking for funding for their projects, and you can invest for as low as $100. So I really encourage everyone just to start investing. I love to see how our community is getting excited about the stock market, but these are post IPO companies. The people have already gotten wealthy from these from these businesses. Get in early on a business. Support a black entrepreneur. Support somebody that you know, somebody in your community, somebody that looks like you, and see how that grows. That is what I really encourage everyone to do. Become an investor. Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the podcast on all podcast platforms as well as social media under Black Tech Unplugged. Now, don't forget to go invest your money in Dawn's company, Popcom. The link to invest is in the show notes. Also, please make sure if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.